This morning, we are getting together to talk about the greatest problem ever solved. In 1887, in a book called A Study in Scarlet, an author by the name of Arthur C. Doyle first introduced a character by the name of Sherlock Holmes, the detective. 126 years later, we still hear about him. He was known most for his ability to see what other people did not see. He was known for his ability to solve things that no one else could solve. Well, I believe that today we still have a vast amount of mystery in our world. There is still a great amount of questions, problems, dilemmas that invade our minds. And yet I believe that there is a book, a series of books, with a series of authors that draw from one source, that pull back the curtain of reality, that show us answers to these questions. In a world of relativity, in a world of ambiguity, the Bible gives us answers. The Bible has one central figure upon which it culminates, and that is Jesus Christ. So what we are going to study this morning, and what we're going to talk about, is that one figure. It is Jesus that all of Easter is about. Today is Resurrection Sunday, and that means everything changed many, many years ago. The core questions of our soul in all humanity seem to be, why am I here? Where did the universe come from? Why is there so much evil and suffering in this world? And what will happen to me when I die? The answers to those questions are critical because what you think informs what you do. Therefore, what you think about those, how you handle those questions, what you believe them to say, or what you believe the answers to them are, the solutions to those mysteries will cause you to live one way or another. Some would say they are unanswerable mysteries. Some would say that the questions are too deep for us to ever know. I disagree entirely. As a matter of fact, I believe that the answer is the fill-in-the-blank on your sheet that was handed to you at the front door. And it is this. Our deepest questions find their solution in Christ. Our deepest questions, no matter what they are, what they are, find their solution in Jesus Christ. Consider the story that led up to Easter from the disciples' perspective, and you will understand why on Saturday, between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, why it was so difficult. So here's kind of how it goes. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, becomes flesh and dwells among us. He becomes a baby, a child in a manger, grows up at the age of 30, launches a ministry, calls 12 men to himself. These 12 men, for the next three years, intertwined their lives in his. 
They laugh together. They cry together. They see miracles. They see the dead rise. They see the blind see. They see the lame walk. They saw two men walk on water. Everything in their life was hinged within this one man. He was their best friend. He was their master. He was their Lord. He was their rabbi. And then after a three-year ministry, he is betrayed by one of them. He is captured, given an unfair trial. He is beaten and he is killed on the cross. He truly dies and he is in a grave. How stunned were they? I mean, you got to get into their mindset that everything, all of their dreams hung on the cross that day. What do you do with that? How do you move forward? They would ask questions like, what does this mean for me? If he died, does that mean that all the eternal life talk was meaningless? Who can I turn to now? Who will lead me? Who will show me the way? What do I do if I've lost the one I love the most? I don't know how many of you have ever lost someone very, very close to you. But that absolute loss and that craving and desire to see them one last time that I feel like my world is vacant because they're no longer here. That filled their soul. 1983 years later, we are still asking the same core questions that they did on that Saturday night. Who will save me? The good news is that you are personally invited by God today to hear this message. The great news is that he has provided a solution to this incredible mystery, but you will not appreciate it until you understand the depths to which you have been saved. And so our story goes backwards. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he told his disciples, I will be betrayed, I will be killed, I will die. They didn't know what to do with that. They wanted to wrap their minds around that, but they couldn't. As a matter of fact, they so shoved it out of their minds that by the time that it all happened, they had forgotten. They had cleaned it out of their minds. There are certain truths, like what I'm going to share with you now about the idea that there is sin upon us and sin cannot get to heaven. That you have shoved out of your mind your entire life. It does not seem real. You will not dwell on it. You will not think about it because to understand that and to embrace that is too difficult. In the same way, they had blocked it out of their minds entirely. Initially, they all tried to grapple with it in different ways. Peter's way was, Lord, that's never going to happen on my watch. I will block anyone that tries to come after you. As a matter of fact, he even grabbed him, took him aside and said, Lord, you keep talking about this death thing. You're killing morale. The guys can't handle it. Stop talking about it. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Just because you don't want to address it, 
Just because you don't want to face it doesn't mean it's not true. Move out of the way because this is real. Judas, Iscariot, the one who would later betray Jesus, probably looked at Jesus showing his cards early and saying, if you're just going to die and bail out, clearly you're not a savior because saviors don't die. So if I'm going to be with you, I'm going to find a way to maximize and capitalize on what's going on here. And indeed, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Everyone has their own way of dealing with these things, good and bad. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed and he stressed. Why? Because even though he was the son of God, he was still fully man. It says that in the garden on that day, he sweat great drops of blood because of the internal struggle he was going through. He was tore up inside. What was his dilemma? What was his mystery? Father, how in the world am I going to make it through the cross? Lord, they don't understand, Father. They don't know these disciples who are with me. They don't get it. They're just going to look on the outside. And yes, many people have died horrific deaths. They've been sawn in two. They've been drawn and quartered. Yes, I get it. But they don't see what's going to happen on the inside. Father, you and I have never been separated. We've never been schismed. We've never been split. Your wrath has never fully come upon anyone like this. Father, how can I do this? With little reply, the answer was simple. Not my will, but your will be done. Whatever, Lord. Whatever, Master. Whatever, Father. Here we go. Indeed, in that garden, later on in their very core secret place where they would go to pray judas brings the enemy the religious leaders of the time who were going to arrest and try jesus on the accounts of blasphemy they come in they arrest him of course peter being true to his word flies in with a sword cuts off a guy's ear you remember that i mean that's dedication just hacks the guy's ear right off but here's the problem Jesus won't let him defend him. He stoops down, grabs the ear, brushes off the dirt, sticks it back on the guy's head. Peter, knock it off. How do you defend a guy who doesn't want to be defended? And Jesus lets them arrest him. There is an unfair trial before Pilate, Herod, and even the court of popular opinion. As he is being humiliated, why won't anyone see him for who he is? Why won't anyone recognize that he is the king, the disciples would think? Will ever there be a time when he is vindicated? Will there ever be a time that everybody recognizes what they have done? There, a beautiful man was marred. No recognition. He went from a Jerusalem king to a common criminal. And as the afternoon went on, the sky grew dark, the earth shook, the temple curtain tore in two. 
graves opened up while Jesus breathed his last and he died. How will a dead Savior save us from anything? It's one thing for a miracle worker who's alive to raise the dead. It's a whole nother thing for a Savior who is dead to raise himself. That never happens. Well, we are then faced, as we walk into the Easter story, with three primary mysteries, three primary dilemmas that there was no good answer to. And the answers that God came up with could never have been fathomed if you gave people a thousand years to think about it. The first mystery that you may not think is a big deal was a massive deal to people struggling through loss. The first mystery is how do we get the body? If you remember, Jesus was crucified and all the disciples had fled. The only ones at the foot of the cross were a group of women and John, one man, John the Beloved. He was there at the foot of the cross, standing a little bit back and watching his best friend die. Everyone else, they were wanted men. They had all scattered. They were not there. But every one of them loved him intensely. They were not there because it only would have made the situation worse. But now that he was gone, they wanted to have access. They wanted their king to have a proper burial. They wanted their king, like all good Jewish men, to be anointed and buried appropriately. But they have no wealth. They have no influence. They have no power. How are ordinary, average, unschooled men ever going to get a hearing with the governor Pilate? How are they ever going to get the body? That mystery is unsolvable for them. They looked in their pockets. They had no resources. There was no way they could get it. So how was that ever going to happen? Well, the solution was something they didn't imagine. Jesus had followers they did not know about. Primarily two. Joseph of Arimathea, an incredibly rich man. An influential man. A man that had Pilate's ear was a follower of Jesus in secret. Nobody knew that. Nicodemus, one of the ruling council that ultimately the majority condemned Jesus. A Pharisee was a follower of Jesus in secret and nobody knew about it. These two men, because of their influence and power and wealth, they went to Pilate. And did what the disciples could not do. They asked Pilate for the body. They were given the body. And Joseph of Arimathea with his wealth had already purchased a family tomb. No one had ever been laid in there. It was a nice one. And it was in a garden setting. Everything was laid out perfect. Why? Because God's solutions are not like our solutions. I hope everybody is putting together the fact that in your life, there are things that are occurring and you don't know how you're going to solve it, but God does. He's gone ahead of you. He knows. He's already worked upstream. He already figured all this out. He already has a solution that you don't have on you. That's one of the reasons why you were invited today, to hear solutions that you could not have imagined. The second mystery was How do we get near the tomb? 
how do we get near the tomb and who will roll the rock away? There were two significant problems facing the first group that went to go find Jesus on Resurrection Sunday morning. The first group to arrive were women. They were dedicated, focused. They were the ones that had funded the operation for three years. They followed Jesus around. He was their everything. He was the ultimate epitome of the perfect man. He was the one that they would dedicate their whole lives to. They knew who he was. Within this group were women like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, you can imagine that if there was any woman bought into what was happening on that cross, it was the woman that bore that child 33 years earlier, watched him go through all of this. She watched her son die. She was motivated. Mary Magdalene, a woman out of whom was cast seven demons. If you ever want ownership, if you ever want someone to buy in, cast seven demons out of them. They're all in. These women followed him around and they were dedicated that they wanted to finish the anointing. They know that 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh had already been placed on him. They know that the guys had done their job, but every woman knows if you want a job done right. Don't rely on the guys. They wanted to finish the job. They wanted to get there. The problem is there was a contingent of guards placed around the tomb that no one is allowed to get into. The men were hired and put on task that if anyone disturbs that rock, they would pay with their very lives. Once again, highly motivated. You do not allow anyone to get inside that tomb. How are they going to get past the guards? If they get past the guards, how in the world are they going to roll the rock away? Because the way that the rock would work is that it would roll slightly downhill to lock in place. That could be done by maybe one or two men. But rolling it backwards up the hill to get it out of the lock space requires more than one or two men. How is this group of women going to get the rock out of place? This is an unsolvable mystery. You can't get past the guards. You can't get past the rock. How are they going to get to their Jesus? Who would have thought that the answer was this? Matthew's account in Matthew 28, 1 says this. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Anybody have earthquake on their list of agenda items that they were going to go ahead and handle? Right? Nobody thought of that one. But why was there an earthquake? For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Is that your solution? There was nothing the women could do. Did they need to? Nope. They didn't need to do anything. Why? Because Jesus' heavenly host came and began to do what they had always done. Before the manger, Jesus Christ was known as the commander of the army of God. The second person of the Trinity. That he was the all deity all the time. The angels had always served him. When he became a baby in the manger, they had to step back and watch. While their commander in chief became vulnerable. And only a few times were they able to step in, but the father held them back. 
But now, now that he had died on the cross, now that he had done everything that the father had asked him to do, as he was dead in the tomb, as he rose to life, he said, boys, we're back on. Here we go. Come on in. They jump in, grab it, roll the rock away, sit on top of it and said, your chariot awaits, sir. And he walks out under heavenly guard. The women would never be able to answer that. They would never be able to figure that one out because the answer was angels and earthquakes and things that they had no control over. The third mystery was the deepest. Where's the body? We know, looking backwards, that Jesus Christ was alive. They did not know that yet. Mary, Mary Magdalene, so desperately wanted to be near. For whatever reason, she was trailing behind everyone else. And in her mind, she had heard all the stories. The tomb is empty. Blah. blah. She wanted her Jesus. And she was going to find him at all costs. So she goes up to the tomb herself. She goes down inside and sees two men sitting there. Angels. First of all, two guys just hanging out in a tomb is creepy. Yeah? Can we all agree on that? She doesn't even flinch. Hey, there's two guys in Jesus' tomb. Hey, I wonder if they're angels. Doesn't Most people would be excited to see an angel. I've never got a chance. Well, that's not true. I think I've seen an angel, but he never revealed himself as an angel to me. Scared the living daylights out of me, right? Most people would go, wow, an angel. What she says is, where's my Jesus? And they said, well, he's not here. She said, Thank you very much, genius. I can tell he's not here. Do you have any idea where you put him? Standing behind her, whether it was because the light was behind him or or not, she could not see that someone was standing at the doorway who saw her begin to fall apart. And he said, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She says she thought he was a gardener. Why? Because he was holding shears. No, he wasn't. He wasn't holding shears. She thought he was a gardener, and she said, I'm looking for my Jesus. Where'd you put him? And he said, Mary, it's me. She falls down at his feet, hangs on to him because she never wants to lose her Jesus again. She had already lost him once, and she was going to hold on. He said, Mary, hold up, hold up, hold up. There's a whole different plan going on. Do not hang on to me. There's so much more for us to do. What was the solution to the mystery? Where was the body? Where was Jesus? Closer than you think. He was standing right at the tomb entrance. Here's the point. The Bible says that salvation is near you. The Bible says that if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. For so many of us, we feel like God is so distant, so far away, that he would never have any interest in being with us. He would never have any interest in hearing our petty problems or worrying about what we worry about. There's no way that he would take all the universe off and focus on us. And yet that's exactly what God is doing. It's a personal invitation. As a matter of fact, he has organized out a personal invitation to you to say, I want you specifically. It's not the masses. It's not everybody else. It's you. I have a plan for you. In honor of that, as you leave today, 
we have these little brass uh, cogs, wheels, clock pieces, just like you see behind me. You put them on your keychain. You put them on uh, whatever you have. Uh, you can put it in your wallet. You can put it in your purse. But this is a reminder that God has individually made you to interlock and interweave into the greater plan, the greater purpose. This is for you. But know this. We have a problem. Our problem and our dilemma is that the Bible says none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. The Bible continues to say, as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Jesus was rejected by you, but there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Here's the problem. Sin. Something that the Jews knew about but didn't like their Messiah. Is something we in modern day America are unfamiliar with. We don't care. We don't see it. We don't believe it. But that doesn't make it not true. The reality is that sin is everything that God is not, every error. It is every wickedness. It is every bad choice. It is all bad things. The things that are within us have stained us. They have made us black in our soul. And here's the problem. No impure thing will ever enter heaven for eternity. That's the reality. The reality is, is that the only thing that gets into heaven is that which is perfect and holy. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to make yourself perfect and holy? You cannot. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that you are dead. Dead man cannot respond. It can't be you. So who is your savior? Who are you going to, who are you going to be saved by? All of us were built to live forever somewhere. Where are you going to live? Because all good things are with God, but to those that love God, they can be with him. To those that do not love God, they cannot. How are you going to clean yourself up? That is the greatest mystery ever. How are you going to be near God? How are you going to get to heaven? Here's the good news. The Bible says that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not die but would have eternal life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive his love, his grace, his forgiveness right now. As a matter of fact, there are some of you right now, God is moving on your heart, and you know He's moving on your heart because you're totally uncomfortable. Because you need Jesus. 
The way that this works is he will not be an add-on. He will not be an extra. He will be all or nothing. He needs to see a white flag of surrender. A God, I made a mess of this and I need rescuing. Unless you have another plan on how you're going to clean the sin out of your life, how you're going to clean the garbage out of your life, you need a Savior, and that only Savior is Jesus Christ. Therefore, He has invited you here today, and He said, Will you let me rescue you? He cannot handle you hurting. He cannot handle you being in pain. He refuses to allow you to be cast into hell. He will not allow you to be apart from him. And so he follows you down. He carries you here. He invites you into this place and gives you a message of love. I love you. Not everybody else, just you. Open your heart to me. Begin our life together now. If you need Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and you're ready to turn your life over to Him, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up right now. I will pray for you. Stand up. Absolutely. Amen. Stand up. Who else? Who else? Anyone else? You're, you know because you're resisting. You're saying, I'm not standing. But all these people have had the strength and courage to stand. What about you? Are we going to leave this place without you standing? you got 20 seconds left. I need you to know that I cannot. Thank you. I, I cannot allow you to go. Because if I love you this much, how much more does God love you? The bottom line... The bottom line is that he will rescue you today. There is no pit he can't lift you out of. There is nothing he cannot forgive because you said, but I'm a failure. He's bigger bigger than your failure. He's stronger than your sin. He's stronger than anything that has gone on in your life. Therefore, I'm going to pray for you. I need you to pray in your heart with me when I pray for you. And all of us are going to intercede for you. And we're going to cry out, Lord, save me, save me on your behalf. And I need you to own this in your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We ask that you would rescue us. Lord, all those that have stood, have stood because they need you, Jesus. They want you more than anything. That God, they don't want their regular life anymore. They don't want to go to bed wondering about their future. They want to look forward and bright. They know they need a Savior. And Jesus, you have said that you love them so much that you invited them here that they might be rescued. God, rescue us. We give up our lives to you. We, we say sorry for what we have done. Uh, Lord, sorrow grips our heart because we know we have not been what you've asked us to be. We know that we missed what you built us for and for years we have lived apart from you. We can't handle that anymore. Jesus, your love has compelled us because we know that you care for us so deeply. 
That, Lord, that you said that you would take all the hits that we would never die. That you would take all of our sin. And if we confess our sins, you'll be faithful and just. And will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, lavish your grace. Lavish your forgiveness upon us. Allow us to feel light in our spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come upon all those standing here. That, Lord, that you would empower them and indwell them and be a part of them. Take control of their lives and make them new and make them fresh. Allow them to know that there is no animosity between you and them. Allow them to know that peace has been restored with their God. Allow them to know, Lord, that even though they were lost, they have been found. That you ran and grabbed them. That you chased them down. That if you have captured them today, you will never let them go. Jesus, you said that for your children of whom are standing here today, that when you go home, you will take them with you, that they forever are safe in your hands. Lord, begin their new lives today. We thank you, Lord, for your incredible gift, all that you did on the cross. May it pour out and may your blood cover us that we might be cleansed and whole and right and good. Jesus, we cry out, save us, Lord. Save us, Lord. We praise you this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing our friends. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing those that we love, that you love even more. Be present with them. Allow them to hear you, God. Thank you for the invite. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would the rest of you stand up as I give you a blessing today as you take off. Allow me to speak truth into your life from God's word. And it is this. As you leave this morning, remember this. Jesus Christ loves you desperately. He wants you to know that he has done the heavy lifting. That his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It is not a matter of you having to constantly try harder and try harder and try harder to get him to love you. That he loves you total now. That as you walk out of here, where I'm going to pray for your marriages, I'm going to pray for your families, I'm going to pray for your addictions, I'm going to pray for all these things. So let's pray even right now. If you have received Jesus Christ as the first time, there's a card in the seat in front of you. We want to get back in touch with you. We want to give you more information. We want to talk to you. You can check there if you want us to just call you or spend any time with you. If you don't, we'll just get your information and we'll send you some stuff. Make sure you fill out that card before you go. But let me pray for all of you. You ready? Here we go. Heavenly Father, would you heal us? That, God, we have come in with brokenness, we have come in with difficulty, we have come in with pain, and we need your soothing. God, restore our marriages. We have allowed selfishness and difficulty and dysfunction to destroy our marriages. Lord, knit them back together. Lord, restore our lost children. Lord, we have children that are running about in this world that don't know you. And we ask right now that you would capture them. We ask that you would woo them back in. Give them friends that are Christians that would come alongside them. Lord, bring them into churches. Bring them into your home. Meet them where they're at. God, as we pray as a church, would you speak to us that it would be a two-way communication and not a one-way 
that God help us to hear your voice, clear up things, show us how to align ourselves with you and get sin out of our lives, that we can hear you. Holy Spirit, come upon us as a congregation. Come upon us that we might be empowered by you to do all that you request. That we would say yes, Lord, on a moment-by-moment basis. God, as we walk out of here today, remind us, Lord, of your incredible love. That there is nothing that Easter shouts greater than I love you from you. Thank you for that amazing gift. Lord, we are a blessed people. We are a loved people. And it is because we have a good shepherd. And so, together in our hearts, we praise you. And we thank you for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.